Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, and welcome to News Data's Energy West podcast. I'm Jason Fordney, editor of California Energy Markets. My normal co-host, or I should say somewhat normal co-host, Dan Catchpole, is on vacation this week, so we are joined by CEM, associate editor and queen of Southwest Desert reporting, <laughs> Abigail Sawyer. How are you doing, Abigail? Doing okay. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for filling in today. Sure. Yeah. Did you have a good weekend? We, uh, I understand huh? you had some rain like took, just like we did out here in NorCal, there in San Francisco, well, yeah, where you a- are. We've had a lot of, we've been very foggy as is typical, um, but, mm-hmm. you know, heavy mist actually developed into rain as of this morning. Not not heavy rain, but um, drops falling on my head, not just fogging my glasses yeah. um, when I was out on a morning walk. So that's unusual. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, weather is usually a typically boring topic, but when it rains here in California, we all look to the skies with wonder. Yeah, uh, in, the, <laughs> in the summer especially, and when yeah. wildfires are at the back, if not the front of everyone's mind. <laughs> yes, um, that should help with that situation a little bit, Yeah, maybe a teeny bit with the drought. Anyhow, um, this week we will be discussing how a Western regional transmission organization could bring billions of dollars in new benefits to the region. We'll also be talking about new data from the California Independent System Operators 2021 performance, uh, how the developer of the TransWest transmission line wants to join Kaiso without increasing transmission access charge, and a new study on vehicle-to-grid integration. So this week, or last week, Abigail, you wrote about the new study uh, on the Western RTO, which is a big topic right now. What can you tell us about that? Definitely. Yeah, well, this was pretty interesting because, you know, previous studies have really just looked at the impacts, the the benefits that a Western RTO would bring mm-hmm. to the grid itself, um, what how it would benefit the electricity system. And there hasn't been, you know, there's been a lot of speculation about how it would just be good for the region economically and everything else. But this was the first real comprehensive study that addressed that. And, you know, it's still speculative somewhat, but they they did some pretty heavy duty modeling. And sure. they say $2 billion annually in, uh, mm-hmm. in the 11 state region that was analyzed in the study, $2 billion in energy savings. And it would also create more than half a million jobs potentially, you know, between 159,000 and 657,000 good permanent, you know, living wage type jobs, in addition to a lot of construction jobs and, you know, and the like. So not all of those jobs, as you might have guessed, were specifically involved in the RTO or in energy production itself, but uh, that cost sure. savings would generate, would really stimulate the economy in the region, which, you know, could certainly use some help given that it's been disproportionately affected in recent years by um, fossil fuel abandonment and that sort of thing. So among other, yeah. among other issues. I so. see uh, the states here, Arizona, California, Colorado, Idaho, Montana, New Mexico, Nevada, Nevada Oregon, mm-hmm. Utah, Washington, and Wyoming are the states in question. Yep. <laughs> and it looks like you had a graphic here with some of the the jobs, the actual types of jobs, right? 
Yeah. Uh, it, a lot of those jobs, <clears throat> I think, interestingly, in the graphic, it does point out that 36% of the jobs are other. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, actually, there's other and all other. So 36 plus 16, doing the math, that's a little over half, I think. Mm. Um, but uh, but we have, you know, um, people moving into these regions because they're, you know, it's the economy's in better shape. And so you find construction, real estate, finance, insurance, lodging, mm-hmm. food and drink and healthcare, you know, those, those sorts of things that, you know, come around when there are people to spend money <laughs> and people sure. who need services. So I think that that's really what it was looking at. And of course it is uh it's a little hard to say. And, th- and th- these were all numbers that would be, we're looking at 2030. Um, and so it's it's not, and it, the sooner an RTO gets off the ground and starts happening, the sooner the benefits would come around. Of course, I, it hammered that in all the time throughout the report, but it's 2030 was the date we're looking at where we would start to see those sorts of benefits, the $2 billion in savings and that many jobs or you know, that wide range, but that many jobs. So that was interesting. Sure. You know, uh, yeah. Also key to, to point out is that uh, wherever the RTO ends up headquartered, they would get an extra economic boost just, you know, from what it takes to run the administration, the operations of the RTO itself. So that'll sure. be something to watch. Yeah. Having, having visited uh, Kaiso myself many times, that's not a surprise. These are incredible facilities, you know, gigantic control rooms, mm-hmm. um, all kinds of offices and research happening, conference rooms. So, yeah. yeah, I could see some competition there. You know, anytime I see jobs numbers, there's always uh, a lot of wiggle room on that. I see one of the things that they're saying is lower energy prices, increased investments uh, would drive expansion and location of businesses in the West. Um, right. so, but you know, we know it would have benefits. Um, these are some, they have a pretty widespread in these numbers too, between 159,000 and 657,000 permanent yeah. jobs. Yeah, that is definitely a widespread. Um, yep. and we're also, you know, we're looking at eight years out too. So, uh, a lot can happen between now and then, <laughs> uh, but yeah. it is, you know, the, the economists in the report, you know, definitely made the point that. While there are a lot of factors that affect whether where a business expands or relocates or locates, uh, energy cost is is a big one. So, yeah, yeah, they're pointing to those energy intensive industries like manufacturing that mm-hmm. could really see an increase in the West potentially. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, today it does. Well, we'll see um, a lot of momentum towards the RTO with all the renewables coming on the grid and some of the uh, shakiness that we're seeing on the reliability front, but the study was prepared by Salt Lake City-based Energy Strategies and Peterson and Associates of Moscow, Idaho. Yep. It's known as the Western RTO Economic Impact Study. If anybody else wants, if, if anybody wants to look it up online. Yeah. But thanks. Good reporting on that. You'll find extensive coverage in both Clearing Up and California Energy Markets. Uh, from there, let's move down to uh, California. Uh, my story on the new 2021 performance report from the Kaiso Department of Market Monitoring had some really interesting findings. 
the total cost of serving electric load in the Kaiso territory rose by 33%. Wow. To 12, yeah, it's a big one. To 12 Sounds like points, they need a Western RTO. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, to 12.6 billion was the cost of serving load. So you look at, you know, 33% of 12.6 billion is over $3 billion. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and the reason for this was higher natural gas prices. That's not a secret, which always puts upward pressure on electricity prices. Um, total wholesale costs came in at, at about $56 per megawatt hour, according to the market monitor. He did say after adjusting for higher natural gas costs and changes in greenhouse gas compliance prices, wholesale costs per megawatt hour actually fell by about 10%. Here's a quote from the report. Natural gas prices increased across the West and in the California spot market, more than doubling at the SoCal CityGate hub. Natural gas demand growth exceeded supply growth, particularly for liquefied natural gas exports, driving electricity prices up across the market. Um, and then we also see demand uh, slightly lower as far as peak demand. Uh, the summer load peak of 43,982 megawatts on September 8th, 2021 was about 7% lower than the 2020 peak. Hmm. Um, and system demand during the highest load hours varies substantially each year based on weather conditions. But DMM said there's a, quote, continued threat to operational reliability, unquote, in the ISO due to the potential of extreme heat-related peak loads uh, market monitor said overpri overall prices were competitive, averaging close to what the market monitor estimated would result uh, under highly efficient and competitive conditions, most supply being offered at or near marginal operating costs. A few other little tidbits, drought conditions also affected hydroelectric supply and the bootleg fire in Southern Oregon in July 2021 threatened transmission lines and reduced import capacity from the Pacific Northwest. This caused Kaiso to declare a stage two emergency. So wow. some interesting finds, findings on that. You can find that report on the Kaiso website under the de uh, Department of Market Monitoring. Always, always interesting to look at. Yeah. And last week you wrote about the Transwest transmission line. Uh, wants to join Kaiso, but has kind of a special request from what you were saying. Yeah, um, it's pretty interesting. The uh, the Trans West line, of course, is the 732 mile transmission line that is designed with the the goal in mind of delivering Wyoming wind power to load centers in the West. So that could be pretty interesting. And uh, they did apply. The owners of the Trans West line. Uh, the, it's a privately owned corporation uh, based in Denver, and they also are the owners of uh, the Choke Cherry and Sierra Madre wind development that is under construction in Wyoming that mm, is yeah. basically, yeah, it's they already have approval from FERC to for three gigawatts of capacity on that line. So uh, that's a big deal, of course. And yeah. they applied to Kaiso um, in July to enter into as a, into Kaiso as a participating transmission owner, but with a new contractual proposal that 
would enable them to derive revenue from transmission subscribers under a separate wheeling charge and not through the normal Kaiso tariffs. So that's pretty interesting. And this would be the first uh, Kaiso member to operate this way. Absolutely. It's it's the yeah. first of its kind, even in, you know, I spoke with folks at TWE and, you know, there's nothing like this uh, in any other RTOs or anything either. You know, it's not in the Southwest Power Pool or in MISO or New York ISO or anything. So, yeah, it's it's a different idea and, and yeah. it definitely and there was got a, some interest out there. <laughs> and you were saying in our editorial meeting that... Um, Kaiso seems to be maybe a little bit open to this idea. We don't want to speak for them at all, but did you have any yeah. indications of that? Or? Yeah, they, they, you know, um, in my exchanges with them, uh, they're, they, they see it as interesting, and they actually had a, held a stakeholder call this morning, which I, I didn't get to, to hear much of it yet. I will be listening to the recording and um, writing more up about that. But there was some interest from other folks on the stakeholder call saying, you know, so if this goes through, will this apply to other transmission operators um, or transmission yeah. owners who want to participate? And uh, they're like, um, you know it. <laughs> so yeah. it, it seems, you know, uh, there's likely to be some negotiation and some back and forth, I imagine. Again, not speaking for any of the parties involved, but, you know, it's not a done deal yet, uh, but it, no. it's definitely something to think about. Different ways of accessing new sources of power and new, you know, ways of delivering it. Or, you know, literally not new ways really, but just new actual yeah. transmission lines, which are like hen's teeth. <laughs> exactly. So. Yeah, this is a long line running from Cheyenne, Wyoming to Vegas. A yeah. nice little graphic of it. Right. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's different. You know, normal normally, Kaiso uh, participating transmission owners can they turn over over control of the facilities and collect that access charge. That was my first question too. You know how this industry works. People will want if they approve it this way, others will look at it and see if it works better for them. And uh, who knows how that will work out? But I do imagine other parties watching this closely. And, uh, you know, probably somebody else will want the same arrangement. We'll see. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And, of course, uh, applications can only come in July and January. So, you know, nobody else is going to be applying for it next week. But uh, right. it's something to keep your eye on. Okay. And we will uh, maybe some more coverage this week, depending what you find out. If not, we'll definitely be covering that issue more in CEM. Mm-hmm. Next, we have a story from Linda Daly Paulson about vehicle to grid integration. Uh, this is based around some California Energy Commission research showing it could provide benefits, but hurdles remain. Uh, of course, using EVs and trucks as backup generation or charging when renewable energy is plentiful is not a new concept. But moving this to general consumer adoption is a challenge for the CEC. Uh, CEC and other state agencies have been working on this issue for roughly a decade. There's numerous definitions for V2G integration. The state describes it as, quote, technologies, policies, and strategies that after the time, power level, or location of charging or discharging of electric vehicles in a manner that benefits the grid while ensuring driver needs are met, unquote. And I think the last part of that sentence being 
extremely important. Um, there's different ways of doing V2G. You might have managed one-way charging. You might have smart charging or bi-directional charging concepts, uh, such yeah. as vehicle to home or vehicle to grid. We have a <clears throat> nice photo here of the Ford F-150 Lightning, which uh, been a lot of discussion about this truck and its uh, capabilities to for this type of thing. I'm, uh, I've been driving a truck for about 20 years now, and I'm happy to see this. I've been waiting for a good EV truck, uh, but I can't afford this F-150 Lightning. <laughs> but uh, You'd have to wait a while too, I think. That's... Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting. And, um, you know, I, I've been researching this truck a little bit and I, I saw a YouTube video where they were tried towing a trailer and they reached about 80 some miles and were pretty much done. So yeah. Yeah. Which is about a third of the claimed range for this vehicle. And, uh, yeah. I know this well, there's also a cultural thing around trucks. You know, they tend to be guys that like big engines and, um, you know, I drive a six cylinder Tacoma, by the way, but, but <laughs> there's some gigantic trucks out there. Um, yeah. but this is definitely happening. You know, I, I move in some of these circles just with some of my recreational interests and it's, there's interest out there. There's people that, you know, there, as long as the performance is there, I think you'll see this happening more and more. Yeah. That, that really is an interesting question though, too. You know, I, uh, actually, Recently went up to the mountains um, with a friend who has an electric car. So she wasn't mm-hmm. towing a trailer or anything, but she was climbing up from San Francisco to the Tahoe area. And she did have a couple of bikes on the back too. Yeah. And yeah, her range, she had to stop a lot more than expected going really? uphill. And it's true. You'd have to buy more gas too. I mean, you know, going uphill, yeah. you're fighting gravity, et cetera. You don't That's have true. those benefits, uh, but it's... It's a new challenge, you know, something to think about. It's with an, with an EV. So. Yeah, and, you know, I moved to NorCal here. I live in a, in a rural area in Nevada City, and I've seen a lot more chargers coming in. They're just building them constantly. So yeah. that'll help with this issue. Um, you know, you have the logical highway corridors to put them on. Um, right. Long way off, but uh, it's nice to see this research happening from the CEC. Yeah. And there'll be a lot more of that. All right. Well, Abigail, it was nice talking to you this morning. Um, Thanks for listening to News Data's Energy West. You can read more of our coverage at newsdata.com. I'm on Twitter at Fordney Energy. Abigail, you're on Twitter at Energy Abigail, right? That's right. Okay. Um, Nobody covers energy in the West like we do. You can also follow CEM on Twitter. That's at CEM News Data. That's letter C-E-M News Data. Clearing up is at C-U News Data. Again, that's letter C-U News Data. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you back here next week. You've been listening to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow.